Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hi, it's Carmine Peace, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey guys, welcome to Talking Metal. This is Mark Striegel coming at you. We're going to be getting into a interview with the one, the only, Carmine Apice. You have heard this guy. He has played with everybody. Marty Friedman, Jeff Beck, Pat Travers, Vanilla Fudge, King Cobra, Bo Diddley, Cactus, Rick Derringer, Eddie Money, Ozzy Osbourne, the late, great Tommy Bolin, Ted Nugent, Blue Murder, with, of course, John Sykes from Whitesnake and Thin Lizzy fame. Uh, Rod Stewart, Pink Floyd, uh, the list goes on and on. That's only just a few of the people he's played with. He has a, a great album out right now, which you guys should pick up. Guitar Zeus, which features guys like Brian May, Slash, Mick Mars, Ted Nugent, Neil Sean, Richie Sambora, Zach Wilde handling the guitar on guitar Zeus so definitely pick up Carmine's record visit his website CarmineAPiece.com we'll have that link through today's show notes uh, we're going to be on Headbangers Ball I think next week with Zach Wild so tune into MTV2 in the middle of the night on Saturday night to check that out um, and also check the news section on the wire section on TalkingMetal.com to confirm those uh, those times I, I don't have them in front of me right now for the Headbangers Ball on MTV2 uh, and those will be clips from the interview you guys already heard here on the podcast. They'll be actual video clips. Uh, and that's uh, about it. We got our, our gig, of course, next month. We want to see you guys at that March 6th at Dingbats in Clifton, New Jersey. The special guest list is uh, firming up quite nice. You guys will not be disappointed. It is a, a different set list than last time. Only a few repeats. So please, come on down. You're going to enjoy that. This all jamming out with John and I on stage, playing our favorite hard rock and heavy metal songs. You know what that's going to be. Kiss, ACDC, Iron Maiden, Ozzy, Sabbath, you know, Priest. Uh, what else? A lot of other good stuff, except. So please come on down. March 6th, Screaming Metal. Check out my blog, markstriegel.net. Listen to my radio station. It's streaming 24-7. Victor from Mars Attacks helps me run it. It is markstriegelradio.com. And that's about it. Let's get into the interview with Carmine. Why don't you in intro our next guest here, John? I am very honored that one of my favorite all-time drummers, me being a drummer, is sitting to my right, Mr. Carmine Apice, legendary drummer, Vanilla Fudge, Rod Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne, King Cobra, Blue Murder, you name it, Amongst he's played many on others, it. yes. going to do definitely. a reunion with all of them next year. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have a busy cool. year. You're going to have a busy year. Carmine, do you, do you need or want headphones? Uh, I don't need, oh, am I... I forgot to put them on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like to hear the headphone. I like to hear the compression. Cool. Now, Carmen, are you New York-based? Uh, I'm New York and L.A. I go back and forth. Very cool. Let's my, talk. My girlfriend is uh, is uh, the radio chick from uh, New York. She lives here. Oh, okay. And my kids live in L.A. All right. I think I like it better without these things. Without them. Okay, that's cool. fine. <laughs> like you feel like you're, uh, you know, confined. 
And you know what, Carmine? You must have the absolute best genes on the planet because I swear to God, I'm watching the Bark at the Moon video. It's got to be around 1983, and you still look exactly the same. It's amazing. Uh, not exactly. My I, got, I, my, pretty I close. got some colors in my hand now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I must have good genes. Very cool. Because uh, you know, I just had another birthday, and it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the alternative. <laughs> That's true. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about your past and all the great work that you've done through the years, but let's start off with Guitar Zeus. Yes. There is so much amazing stuff on here with so many amazing players. Let's start off talking about Paul Gilbert. Uh, you did a okay. song with him, which I yes. really dig, called yeah. Dislocated. Dislocated. One of the, the... It's a great song. Yeah. That's really a great song. And I love the lyrics on that song because, you know... Uh, Kelly uh, Keeling, the singer, writer, you know, co-writer with everything with me, he did the lyrics, and those lyrics are so him, you know. I, I woke up today, or was it yesterday? Dislocated. Right. <laughs> you, know? you know, I lost my license, now I don't drive, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going up a down, uh, I'm going up a down escalator, going nowhere fast, you know. I mean, all these really cool lyrics, and then uh, has a great groove, has some... Uh, a cool time signature at the beginning, me being the drummer, I love all that stuff, yeah. you know. And then we gave it to Paul, and Paul did this awesome solo with uh, with a very Hendrixy kind of sound on his guitar, you know. And um, he was one of the guys we actually gave a tape to, and then he gave us back the tape with the solo on it. Wow. There's maybe four of them on, that, on all those people that we did that to. As opposed to what, actually jamming to, with them in person? As to or? seeing them in person. And doing it. Everyone else, we did it pretty much in person. Now, this is a project that started back quite, I probably like at least 10, 10 12 yeah. years ago. Yeah, it started in the late 90s. And um, I released them in Europe and Japan. Never released it in America. And then when I did release in America, finally, it was 2006. Uh, we did like a compilation and called it The Ultimate Guitar Zeus. And then... Um, I just did a deal with Fuel 2000 to release all the stuff that has not been released here uh, with me and my projects. Like, uh, th this came out in uh, September-ish. It's been out. It's been doing okay, actually. It's been selling. Good. We've been promoting it, doing a lot of these interviews around the country. And I did an in-store, actually, here in New York at J&R Music oh, about excellent. six yeah. weeks ago. And that went really well. And and uh, the next one out is a Derringer Bogart Peace record with Rick Derringer, me, and Tim Bogart. Wow. And then after that, um, we got Travis a piece, which is me and Pat Travis. And then we uh, we're finishing up some new mixes on. Uh, we remixed the whole Cactus Five album. Cool. And we're packaging that together with a DVD of Cactus from the East Coast to the West Coast, called Coast to Coast. You know, like three different sessions of uh, of video, and uh, they're going to be put together and called Cactus Music as a double CD. Wow, so so many, so, so much history, so much yeah. amazing yeah. stuff. I saw Cactus at BB King's when you guys played there I, with the reunion, right. and uh, it was an amazing show, legendary yeah. stuff. And I'm just looking at this record, and I want to tell our listeners just who is on this record, and it's just unbelievable. There are 27 tracks, and uh, let me go. We've got Paul Gilbert, Ingve Malmsteen, Neil Sean, Steve Morse, Doug Aldrich, Brian May of Queen, Jennifer Batten, who I love, Ty Tabor from King's X. Doug, too, from King's X. Doug, right? Yeah, Doug, yeah. Doug Pinnock, Ted Nugent, Elliot Easton from The Cars, Mick Mars from Motley Crue, legendary guitar player Leslie West from Mountain, Stevie Salas, Zach Wilde, Warren D. Martini, Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi, Danny Lane. C.C. DeVille from Poison, Bruce Kulick, our friend from Kiss, Dweezil Zappa, Vivian Campbell, one of the most amazing guitar players that we've all loved from back in the Dio days. I mean, and many, many more. And Steven Seagal. <laughs> Steven yeah, right? Seagal. Yeah. Steven what, you couldn't Seagal. get any big names on the record, Carmine? <laughs> uh, well, that's why I got Steven Seagal, because right. I figured, you know, might as well get a movie star. But there's one on there that I forgot to list. John McEnroe's on there too. Right, we, I we were talking about, about that. That's amazing. Now, now John I is. to list him. John, we know is a is a big fan of of hard rock music. Yep. Loves Van Halen and yep. uh, uh, and plays guitar. Is, is 
Is he a good guitar player? He's not bad, actually. Yeah. He's uh, he's not bad. He's, he's obviously uh, a great tennis. It player. was a it was a <laughs> thing. Yeah, it was a it was a thing that happened like last minute. You know. Yeah. We were gonna do a deal with this agent to do it like a television. You know, uh, one of those eight hundred number television ads. You know, an infomercial like a uh, five minute one, and uh, the guy said, you know. It'd be great to get John McEnroe on. You got Steven Seagal, John McEnroe, and all the guitar players. It'd be a good thing for television, you know. I said, sure. Let me see if I can find a place for him, you know. Right. So I found the place on this song called Stash where he's just playing this rhythm guitar. And and in between the vocals on the pre-chorus, it did a couple of little fills, you know. Yeah. And because Stevie Salas did the real solo, the big solo. Oh, okay. So we, uh, But actually, his part works great because it's like this, it's almost like fame where it goes, bam. Bam, bam, you know, like really right, right, right. big fat guitar, you know, and it's it's very cool. So he did a great job. And let's talk about some of the other people that that uh, you play with on this slash. Um, is this? Uh, I, I mean, the names, as Bud Friendly pointed out, are, are are pretty incredible. Are these people that you just call up and say, "Hey, I want you to play in a, a song," sort and they're of, like, yeah. "Sure." Yeah. Do you have yeah. to kind well, of? Well, I, I had a plan. My plan was I knew Brian May and Ted told me they would play on it. Okay. So I knew that those two would be like drawing cards for the young, the next generation. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. There you go, yeah. And then I I knew that guys from King's X were going to play on it. I knew they would be drawing cards because all musicians love Like them. King's X, right. yeah. Okay, so so the first ones I put on were Ted Nugent and the two guys from King's X. Mm. And then I sent off the tape to Brian May. So this, so then when I would call someone like... Uh, uh, I call Adam Day to get a hold of Slash for me. Adam is his, uh, his like, assistant. And he said, well, who's on the album? I said, well, so far, Brian May, Ted Nugent, two guys from King's X. Oh, okay, that sounds good. I'll do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. now you got Slash. Right, right. So when you call Ingve, you go, well, who are you on the album? I got Slash, Ingve. Right. <laughs> you know, I got blah, blah, blah. So as it keeps growing... When you call up the next guy, it's like, well, I got Ingve slash yeah. blah 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 blah. Wow, man, it sounds good. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, before you know it, you know, I had the full album. You know, and and, then, and well, a lot of these guys you would jam with in person. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, uh, like Neil Sean. Um, there's two actual discs in that. There's not one. There's two discs. There's guitars cool. one and two. I did them separately. Each disc cost me over a hundred thousand dollars to make. Wow, wow. You know, because it. The time when I did it, I got big budgets from Japan to do it with, and uh, so the first time Neil came down to L.A., we had a studio in L.A., and he set up his his little you know plug-in box. He wailed one, you know, one solo, man. That yeah. was it. It was great. Amazing. Second time, I went up to his studio in San Francisco with uh, Ted Nugent. I went to to Michigan to get Ted, and it was a um, sort of summer because Ted had a pair of. Shorts on with a with a thirty eight in his on his back, and, <laughs> you know, and I videoed all of it. Right. I videoed ah, cool. pretty much everybody in case I ever needed it. And I don't even know where the video is now, but I videoed everybody from Ingve. I flew down to Florida, hung out with Ingve in his house um, for a couple of days. I played on a track of his on a ballad, and he uh, played on this one. And Ingve played so bluesy on this that people don't even realize it's an Ingve, you know. Yeah. And that's just a great thing about this. You got different combinations. Ingve wanted to play on the track that Doug Pinnock sang on. Oh, okay. Mick Mars wanted to play on the track that Edgar Winter sang. Right, right. Okay, because he loved Edgar Winter. So we paired them up. It's like really off the wall, you know. Right. And then like Brian May's solo, I picked the solo, he gave me two solos, and I picked the one with the wah-wah because you never hear Brian May play with a, a wah-wah, you know. Mm -hmm. So... So a lot of unique things happened on here. Like Richie Sambora, you hear him jamming. You know, when do you hear Richie Sambora jam? You know, and he's really, he played great on this, you know. Very cool, Carmine. Now, the last time we hooked up, you were doing an amazing project that I describe as like Stomp on Steroids. It was the Slam. Did Carmine, a piece of Slam. Was it because we we use that all the time now? I know, I know. <laughs> I don't know if I was the first one, but that's what I tell people. It's yeah, like, well, we, and that's uh, amazing. We're still doing that. Cool. Tell and, us, uh, tell these guys well, who haven't heard about uh, it yet. Slam is my um, sort of uh, stomp on steroids. It's a it's a theatrical rock spectacular drum show, and it's um, five drummers and a guitar player, and we do like trash can versions, real metal, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, versions, actual heavy metal, metal. Yeah. really metal. <laughs> 
versions of like Do You Think I'm Sexy, which I co-wrote with Rod Stewart. Yes, yeah. uh, you keep me hanging on with Vanilla Fudge, Wipeout. We're working on uh, Young Turks and a couple other songs. Like uh, there's a song that was on the Grammys last year that that Slumdog Millionaire uh, movie had, and it's all oh in uh, Maya? East Indian. Yeah, it Maya, was. Um... It, it was the one called uh, Yahoo. It was what it was called, and. The drums on it were great, so we did like we put together like a rock version of that. So, so now we're working on uh, we we got some more gigs coming up. We actually have uh, Adam Parsons, who's a uh, part manager of the Motorhead uh, organization. Oh, cool. He's managing the Slam thing for us. Now. Oh, very cool. And uh, so we're we're just having a good time putting that together, and and you know he's got some great ideas. He's a drummer. Oh, cool. You know, he's got some really good ideas to take it and make it bigger for like a Vegas kind of show. Now, so, do you have the same lineup? Um, we lo- we changed a couple of people. Um, I think we changed. Um, I'm trying to think. From is uh, Zoilo still where, with you well, guys? We played BB Kings, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Same lineup. Oh, cool. Very cool. Same lineup, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a great show. Same when lineup. I saw that show, literally, and I was telling Z this, that it was making me want to get up on stage because it was such a great theatrical, percussive experience. It is. It's an experience. And and that show at B.B. King's was very hard to do because the stage was absolutely too small. Mm. Right. You know, I'm, I mean, because you, know, you have physical, there, you know, lots of stuff laugh. on the stage, right? I mean, we we need a stage, you know, like... I do this disappearing drum solo and end up in the audience. I can't even do it there because there's no room. Right, right. You know, and there's other things that we couldn't do there because it was too small. Because the yeah. pro- the actual instruments are large physical yeah. garbage cans garbage and other can, metal things. Fifty-five gallon oil right. drums and ironing boards and all kinds of yeah. weird stuff, you know. And plus, you've got like a, a giant double bass kit up there right. as well. And there's two kits. Two kits, right? Yeah, there's two drum kits. We did play uh, in in '09 at uh, Westbury. Right. And we opened up for Johnny and Edgar Winter. Cool. And, and Edgar and I played with Edgar for years in, ni- in the early 90s. And Edgar's a, you know, he loves drums and drumming and all that. So he was dying to to come to that show to see Slam, you know, and cool. he saw it and he loved it. And, then, uh, and, you know, we had some room on that stage, you know, and we use black light. And we have our own, carry our own black lights and strobe lights and smoke machines and all that. And, uh I went out during the sound check, and we, you know, we had a lighting guy going, just doing some of the effects. And I sat out like where the audience was sitting, and it was looked awesome. I said, "Man, this looks great!" You know, Very got cool. the ladder on, big giant ladder with two bass drums on top of it in the middle that that had like uh, you know some black, white, and some weird stuff coming out of it, and just it just looked awesome with all the lighting and stuff, you know. And, it, and the audience response was great that night. It's a killer. It's a killer show. Now, Carmine, I wanted to take it back a little bit. I first saw you with King Cobra live in Pittsburgh, PA, and then I later saw you with Blue Murder in Boston, where you gave me a little drum lesson, which I will talk about later. But I wanted to take it Did even. I charge you? No, it was a free drum lesson. Believe it or not, that oh was God. when I was up in Berkeley. You owe him Twenty bucks. I know. Quick. I'll pay with you later. Compounding interest. <laughs> it must have been a quick one. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was cool. But you actually wrote out on uh, an eight by ten piece of paper. You wrote out some parts for me and. And you actually made me play because I said, look, I still have it. Yeah, I'll show it to you. It It said, go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was the opening. It said, you are going to be a metal talk show host. Yes, in the future. (laughs) In your future life. (laughs) It was the beginning drum part to the song Blue Murder. Oh, okay. And I wrote that out? Yeah, you wrote it out for me, and I still have it. Which is one of the songs you... I like to have that because people ask me how to do that now. I I got it. I'm the only one that has it, right? I have to show them. (laughs) Now, it's funny you mentioned that song, Blue Murder, because that is a song that you wrote with with the guys in that band. And uh, that's something that a lot of drummers don't do is songwrite. Uh, you mentioned that you did songwriting with Rod Stewart, including possibly his biggest song. Yeah, I've been writing. Song. My first song that I wrote was 1968. And do you write on guitar or piano? I or? write on anything. Yeah. Like I was writing a song two days ago in Connecticut in Leslie's house. She has a piano. And I wrote this song, this, this melody, and I'm bad with lyrics. You know, the right. lyrics get me. Um, but funny enough, uh, you mentioned King Cobra. We're going to do a King Cobra album. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was, uh, Paul Shotino is going to sing with us. Amazing. Oh, cool. okay. Great. And, uh, so I was at Paul's house in Vegas. Uh, so I played with, 
this group called the SC Sinners there one night. Oh, okay, right. All right. And, Bunch of uh, cool guys. And Paul came down, and Dave Michael Phillips came down, and we we went on stage and played Hunger. Cool. And it was wow. it sounded great. I said, wow, this song sounds good live again. The oh. coolest thing is you were saying, like, you guys were going to be, like, the opposite of Motley Crue. They had, yeah. like, a bunch of, like, dark-haired guys and a blonde singer, and you said you were going to be the, the, be the dark-haired dark guy with a bunch of blondes. blondes. yeah. Very cool. And put put the cobra colors in the hair, too, you know. As a matter of fact, I got a call from Johnny Rod yesterday. Oh, said, cool. I just cut my hair exactly the way it was in the, in the 80s. <laughs> it's bleach blonde now, and I got the, I'm getting the color put in. I said, good man. Very is, good. Is Paul, yeah. gonna die? Paul usually didn't have blonde hair. No, no Paul's going to do streaks. Streaks. Okay. Cool. He's going okay. okay. to have blonde, cool. blonde and, like, colored streaks. Yeah. Great boy, voice, son. Great oh, no doubt. Yeah, great voice. Perfect but, you know, choice. So my point was, so we I went to his house, and... You know, me, him, and Dave were putting these songs together, and and then Dave left. He, see, I, Dave's been a, a, a computer engineer for 20 years, you know, working for, like for Intel. Wow. And you know, really a smart guy, made a lot of money, and that's what he does for a living. And he plays you know, on the side, you know, for a goof. So he left to go back to his work on on Sunday, and me and Paul were there Sunday and Monday in his studio, and we put all the arrangements together of the stuff, and you know, these songs. And then we said, oh, yeah, now the lyrics. <laughs> and then, then the vibe went, you know, right. then you got to get serious. You know what I mean? When you put the music together, it's fun, you know? Only a few times that ever, when I played with Pat Travers, uh, I wrote a bunch of lyrics. I, I kept playing the song on the computer, and I just kept typing the lyrics. I said, wow, this is weird. Yeah. Never did this before. But the lyrics kept coming out. Well, they, no, that's they, good. They worked good, out good Sometimes... You're there, sometimes you're not. So I found some lyrics late for that album with, with Pat that I wrote in 1971. And I said, you know what, this will fit. And it was all about, you know, growing up as a kid, taking drum lessons so I could play, playing in front of audiences, getting there, doing it. You know, so then the hook was, so stand up and check it out, you know, kind of thing. It was sort of a funky thing, you know, yeah. a heavy rock funk thing. And, you know, when they come, it's okay. When you got to sit there and like... Yeah, I can't think of anything, you know. But I don't really like writing lyrics. I like music, you know, and arrangements and melody and stuff like that. Cool. And uh, of course, we're we're the talking metal show, so we have to ask you about some of the metal, the metal stuff, stuff yeah. that you've done. Uh, let's talk about Ozzy Osbourne. You worked with him on the Bark at the Moon record, although you didn't actually play drums. You guys on are very it. well informed, I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, but encyclopedias. None of that uh, from you. Human, <laughs> human encyclopedias armed with Google search yeah. engines. Hey, you know what's funny? I I had um, I don't know. There was a review of this of the uh, guitars you saw online. It said drummer and rock historian Carmine Apisa. Rock historian. <laughs> you you are the history. I don't know. I never I've never been called that before. Historian. You know. Well, back to back to Ozzy. Now you yeah. were brought in on the production I end was, of the I Bark was, at the Moon yeah, record. My deal was supposed to be um they threw uh, Tony uh Tommy Aldridge out. They didn't like what he did on the album. They asked me if I could help make the drums sound better and work with Ozzy to finish the vocals on a couple of few songs with me and this guy Tony Tony Bongiovi who's John Bongiovi's sure. um, cousin or cousin, yeah. oh, cousin. and, that and I used to work with him with Vanilla Fudge at the record plant in the days cool. of, you know when the record plant was going and Hendrix used to go in there and jam and stuff blah 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 so it was me the three of us and, and Sharon actually left him there left Ozzy there almost in my care which I couldn't believe right. because you know it was almost <laughs> And like everywhere that Sharon was, Ozzy was, and vice versa. So, and we were in New York here for three weeks, and Ozzy was walking around. Those are the days when you still get mugged on the streets. Yeah, you told and me we'd this be is walking great. to the we'd be walking to the, the like from the Hemsley Hotel, which is on Forty Second, I believe, and I don't know down whatever it is, all the way to the Hit Factory. Right, mm -hmm. it's a long walk. Right, that's where Gibson is now. Right, right? Mm -hmm. and Ozzy had all these diamond rigs on, man. And we'd be walking, I'd be looking behind me and all around me. And Ozzy said, what's the matter? This is, you know, I said, what's the matter? We're, we're walking in New York. You're wearing all these freaking diamond rings. Right. We're going to get mugged here. And that's what's the matter. <laughs> he says, oh, well, maybe, well, next time we'll take a cab. But we couldn't get cabs <laughs> because every time we started the studio, it's at 5 o'clock. Yeah. Right, which we couldn't right get cabs. Right, it was sure. ridiculous. The hotel didn't have cabs. Was, so we walked there every night. You know, sometimes we took a cab, you know, on the way back, thank God. But it was uh, interesting because uh, you know, we were working with tape. Mm -hmm. And literally, sometimes we had to punch in one word at a time. 
Wow. You know, and uh, but the, so you were brought in to get these drum sounds, but then you started doing more. Well, yeah, I was so my, my credit was associate producer, right, on the album, and uh, which is good for me, you know, because at that point in my career, you know, I had produced a lot of albums, and you know, I wanted to get more into that end of it, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, like, you know, as Guitar Zeus, I produced this whole record, you know. So when people say, who have you produced? I produced Brian May, Ted Nugent, everybody right, on yeah, there, right. you know. But, you know, and it was great. You know, we finished it all. And, and the good thing about it was when it was done, me and Ozzy got on the SST and flew to London mm. to do the video. The video, right. And um, I was just talking to somebody said they're doing a goof on that video. And... Uh, I forgot sure, who it yeah. was. Uh, I was at Samson yesterday out in Long Island, and, and somebody there, one of their groups, had recut Bark at the Moon, oh, and cool. they were doing the video, the same thing. Uh, oh, okay. I know who it is, Jason Bittner. Oh, oh cool. Okay. Very cool. Jason Bittner, that's right, with, uh, I guess, Shadows Fall. Shadows Fall, right. They recut Bark at the Moon, wow. and he said, so I'm playing your part in the video. I said, how cool oh, is that? Cool. That's funny. Right. I said you got to grow the mustache. So. <laughs> yeah, no, he has to have that for the video yeah. when he does it. It's but they're re they're recreating the video. Their lead singer is going to be the wolf. Wow, you know, that's unbelievable. Almost like what uh, Killswitch did with the Dio video. Yeah, I was but, just thinking yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, I got to send you guys my latest press photo. Oh, I'll okay, show cool. it to you. When, I don't know if you can see it now, but it's it's wild. Yeah. Cool, <laughs> this, is, this is a crazy drummer shot, we call it. Excellent. Right. And then you wound up doing some touring with Ozzy as well after that, right? I did tour with Ozzy from, um, let me see, October 83 till about March of 84. And cool. was that that was with Jake on guitar? With Jake on guitar, and, and Bob Daisley and, and Don Airy. Okay. It was a great band. Yeah. It was a really great band. Matter of fact, the night that Sharon canned me was in Houston, uh, Houston and the band was just freaking great yeah. that night. It was so tight. I came off the stage and we all said, wow, we were really good tonight, man. We were, you know, this was it. This was like, you know, when you get on the tour and you start getting tight, you know what I'm talking about, you know, and you hit that one night and you go, wow, that was great. Yeah. And then she canned me that night. What, for what reason? My name was too big. Uh, That's what she said. So your name so, is too big. We need more of a side band. Huh. And do you Sharon, think, you know, but I have a contract. Well, I'll see you in court. And didn't you have situations where sometimes you'd go into a hotel and people would be coming over to you in the well, lobbies? Yeah, because at the time my hair was really purple. Right. I had more purple than black. And it was winter time when we toured like cold like this. And I had this big black fur coat. And when I walk into a place with Ozzy, Ozzy had his blonde streaked hair and, and a, like a mink coat. And the two of us would walk up to the desk and they hand me the key and go, here's your key, Mr. Osborne. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, his reputation was he was crazy. You know? Yeah. And there I was the craziest looking one there. So yeah. they handed it to me. She didn't like that. She didn't like the fact that people like J.J. Uh, Jackson, rest in peace, would say, and here's the Ozzy Osbourne tour featuring Carmine and Peace on drums. Yeah. You know? Right. And, you know, that wasn't in her plan. They were pushing Jake. Yeah. Huh. You know, That's so, interesting. Uh, do you, do, I don't know if you follow the Ozzy Osbourne gossip nowadays. But no. They, they've, with they've, Zach? Yeah, they've let Z Zach go. Yeah. Um, and I know you worked with Zach on the the yeah. Guitar Zeus album. Uh, any any thoughts on that? I kind of, it's funny because now that you mentioned that about your name being too big, yeah. I almost felt there was like, you know, overtones from conversations that I read with Ozzy where, where he was saying, well, why does he need me? You know, he's got his own band, you know? Right. Well, well, that, yeah, I mean, I could see that for sure um, happening, but they helped it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, yeah. they, they supported it. Sure. They put Black Label Society on, on all the shows at yeah. OzFest. And yeah, They true. helped him make it big. And he's been there a long time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's time to go, maybe, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I'm surprised they didn't use that same thing they said about me and uh, Billy from uh, Smashing Pumpkins when they, you know, he was with them, with, with uh, Sharon, I guess, as manager. Oh, okay. And Sharon oh, said the, uh, yeah. they, they let him go because she made him sick yeah, uh, I, for I, medical reasons. So we let him go for medical reasons. He made me sick. Yeah. Wow. That's what they said about me yeah. when I, they canned me. Yeah. I said, wait a minute, you know, I made you sick. Hold on a minute. Jeez. Now you mentioned uh, doing some more work with uh, Bogart, who you've have such a history with. Yeah. Um, 
talk about a, he's a great working with player. him and Jeff back back in the day. How, how did that initially come about? Well, you know, it, it came. It was twice. It came around twice, actually. Uh, first time we were with Vanilla Fudge, we actually broke up Vanilla Fudge. You know, in those days, you used to break up bands instead of taking a break. You know, you go, I don't want to play with these guys anymore. Let's break up and do a super group. You know, and Jeff wants to play with us. We're going to have Rod Stewart as a singer. And um, that, that was a good idea for a minute. And then Rod didn't want to play with Jeff because uh, Jeff ripped Rod off in those days. Mm. And and then Jeff got in a car accident. He, he was... Like a year and a half, he needed to recover. We had already broken up Vanilla Fudge, so me and Tim are going, oh, what do we do now? Well, let's find some other guys and continue. So we got uh, Jim McCarty from Detroit Wheels, play with Cactus, and Rusty Day to play with the Amboy Dukes with Ted. Yeah. And we had Cactus. And after two years of that, then we got wind that Jeff Beck wanted to play with me and Tim again. So... You know, and that was always been mine and Tim's dream to play with us, and same with him. You know, yeah. And we—it's funny because we were on tour with Rod Stewart and the Faces with Cactus, and told Rod we were going to go do that. And Rod said to me, "Don't do it, man." He said, "You're better off keeping Cactus together because in two years, year and a half, it'll be done with Jeff." Yeah. We didn't listen. Yeah. (laughs) We should have listened, but we went and it was done. One album. Did the second album twice. He didn't like it. Oh, really? Yeah. You know? And then uh, it it was just those days were so so different than today. You know, yeah. I mean, in those days, you know, like Jeff didn't like the second album, so we threatened to sue Jeff because he signed a contract with us saying two albums and three tours, and we only did one album and two tours. So we had a live BBA in, at the Rainbow album that Jeff agreed to release. Which we would have gave to Epic, we would have got a you know big our big advance, and then at that point Tim decided he didn't want the managers that we had, and he he was going to use this album as pressure, and a Vanilla Fudge album that we had gotten back together with Epic, both deals were at Epic. It was like half a million dollars worth of deals back in 1973. That was Which a, a huge lot of money, money, yeah. You know, and Tim said, "No, I'm not going to do it unless we get rid of the manager and the." And the attorney, I go, what are you talking about, man? The manager's with the mafia. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going? You know you know what I'm saying? And, and it was like, uh, so Tim said, well, I'm not going to do it. So he blew both those deals out. And that's when I said goodbye to Tim for a while. Right. And I said, yeah. So it was, it was, it was a mess. We probably would have done better staying together with Jeff, uh, with Cactus, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, Carmen. I wanted to take it back even further, and oh my God, this really? is <laughs> to the big band era. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to your childhood. No, when you were jamming with Artie Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes, well, I remember those days. <laughs> one of the coolest things is that uh, we put a press release out today saying that you were going to be on our show, and somebody wrote. Not him Carm- again. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote, he was Bonzo before Bonzo. And you told me some amazing stories about your Ludwig kit and how that kit that you designed for Bonzo became like the Led Zeppelin right. drum set. Because I'm a drummer and I yeah. just love talking well, like, drums well, with you. Actually, it's funny you mention that because I do that uh, kind of presentation at my clinics now where I have a DVD that shows me on the Ed Sullivan show the first time in 1968. And I used a big 26 by 15 bass drum. Wow. And now I'm with D-Drum. Cool. And D-Drum just made the ES Carmine kit at Sullivan. Very cool. For It's a limited edition. Um, it's been selling through 09. And it's a 26 by 15 red sparkle kit, just like I had on the cool. Ed Sullivan show. And uh, so once I, when I did that, I went to Europe with that kit. And I needed to have a big bass drum because there were no PA systems in those days. And, you know, you, you're competing against Marshall Stacks. And Tim Bogart had, like, three dual showman bottoms. You know, we had two 15s wow. in each. Ridiculous, you know. And the organ player had two crown 300s in each Leslie, you know. And Jeez. I'm competing with this. That's how I came up with my crazy hard-hitting style that they say is, you know, the, the foundation to what's going on, you know, in rock drumming doubt, today. Yeah. Because I had nothing to power me. <laughs> I put my arms and my hands. So I turned the sticks over, butt, butt end, match grip, and just started killing the drums from way up here, you know, way high, you know. And 
So when I did get a Ludwig endorsement, they said, what would you want? I said, well, I had a big bass drum, and that worked. I'm going to get everything big. <laughs> right? So I got two bass drums. I got 26 cool. by 14 And you were one drum. of the first guys that I know of that played double bass. Well, it was Ginger Baker, me, and uh, Ginger Baker did it a little before me, and uh, Keith Moon just a little before cool. me. Uh, and, you know, but I was the first one to get the big drums. Yeah, right. Okay. The big drums were like, you know, it was, it was like not only were they big, but you had to be like a freaking man to play these things because you had to beat the hell out of them. You know, you couldn't like wimp out and just hit them lightly. So they had no sound. Right. So I had two twenty-six bass drums. I had a twelve by fifteen marching tenor drum. Now that's a tom tom that these guys march around with right. on the yeah. on the football fields, you know. So that was my small tom. Wow. Okay. Usually a average tom in those days was thirteen by nine. Right. This was twelve by fifteen. Jeez. So that's like a floor tom. Wide. It, actually, Ludwig put leg holders on it. They wow. thought it was a floor tom-tom. <laughs> you had to take those off and put a regular yeah, mic. I had it on a snare stand in the middle of the two drums. And this was the very first maple kit that Ludwig made. Wow. They had the very first natural kit. Then I had a 16-18 floor tom. And this was the killer. I had a 22-inch bass drum turned over on its side with yeah. metal metal rims. And that was my big tom. I had a 6.5-inch deep snare drum, which usually all the snares were five. Right. Nobody used That was a concert um like an orchestra drum. So that was bigger. So everything was big. And I had a gong. I, I got a oh, gong, man. too. So when Led Zeppelin played their first show with us with Vanilla Fudge, then I found out only recently that we paid half their fee that night. Wow. Vanilla Fudge. They got, <laughs> got $1,500, and we paid seven fifty of it. Jeez. In order to get them on the show, that was already sold out. Yeah. Wow. Oh, so you we didn't really didn't need them. Right. We didn't need them. But the our agent, you know, we had the same attorney. You know, it was like friends in those days. Right. That stuff don't happen today, you know. Yeah. You don't get on a tour because you're friends anymore, you know. It's like if the record company buys the ads, you get right. on the tour. It's all business now. Yeah, exactly. So so then, um, you know, they gave us uh, the album before it came out and said, well, these are what they sound like, so we want to put them on tour with you. And we said, sure, you know. And I, I love what Bonzo did on the first album, yeah. so... When I met him, you know, nobody knew who he was. It was John Bonham. He was green, new kid. You know, he's about two or three years younger than me. And, you know, I remember walking on Santa Monica Boulevard telling Robert Plant he should move around more. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. amazing stuff. I mean, you know, it's hilarious, you know. But um, when he saw my drum set, he said, oh, man, I would love a set like that. Can you help me get a, an endorsement by Ludwig, you know? I said, all right, kid, let me see what I could do, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, really, you know, who the hell thinks, who would think that he would, be, he would become the biggest rock drummer in the freaking world, you know? Wow. And, like, so, you know, I helped him. I called up Ludwig and said, look, there's this new band, John, uh, Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page's band, this guy John Bonham, he's a really good drummer. I think they're going to be big. Yeah. There had to be an <laughs> understatement of four decades, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And and they said, okay, uh, well, send me your records. We sent them the record. And uh, then we called up, then, you know, and then we do it to the attorney and, and them. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll give you the, what do you want? We want the, I want the same drum set. Mm. You know, cool. so he ordered the same exact kit as mine with the gong and two bass drums and all that stuff. And if you see that uh, when the West was one DVD set up, yep. mm -hmm. uh, you see some of the Scandinavian Swedish footage, you'll see him playing a blonde. Drum kit, and that's, and that's that was that the drum kit. kit. Yeah. That was that uh. kit, and it looked just like mine, you know. And six months later, we did another tour with them. Now they got so big so fast that um, he had just gotten the drums, and we were doing like opposite build, you know, like uh, we would headline one night, they would headline another night. So, but he played the double bass drum kit on that tour. Wow, that's so that's this a rare thing. Yeah. was pretty funny because he would play. They take his drums off, put and the then they put my up. drums on. Right. It's the same kit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I always thought, I tell the story all the time, I always thought, what does the audience think? Yeah, it's like, They're going, wait a minute. They're playing it. Didn't they just take that drum set off? Right. Yeah, you know, it's hilarious. You know? It's insane. And then after that tour, Robert and, and Jimmy told him, you're too busy with the two bass drums. So let's get rid of that bass drum. Hmm. 
So he went back to single bass drum. When you took the bass drum away, you had the Led Zeppelin kit. Wow. Right. Wow. What an amazing story, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever run into guys like Robert Plant yeah. anymore? I actually did run into Robert Plant uh, in 2004. Uh, we had Vanilla Fudge playing in England, and Robert came to the show. Oh, did he? Cool. Yeah. And we. that's when I was talking to him and um, backstage, and he, and actually he jammed with us. It was Tim Boga got sick that night. Mm. He was throwing up in a trash bin on the side <laughs> of the stage. Not on drugs either, on the bad pizza, you know. And... Um, so Robert was in the audience. He came back. Hey, what's going on? You guys all right? So no, Tim, Tim screwed up, man. So we got to go out and play. Hey, you want to come sing with us? And goes, well, I don't know. What, what do I know that you know? I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I know all your songs, but I said, how about we do Parchment Farm from Cactus? He goes, oh yeah, okay. Wow. So he went out and he sang Parchment Farm with us. Very you know? cool. That's and awesome. And we had the um, Bobby Rondinelli. Uh, no, my brother Vinny was on the tour playing with the Lizards oh, cool. at the Excellent. time. So. It was we all were on the stage playing with Robert. It was it was hilarious. It was great. great. But, but but Robert did tell me that day that he would never do Led Zeppelin again. Wow. And so when all these rumors right. were happening, he said, "What do you think?" I said, "I don't think he's going to do it." Yeah. He doesn't right. need the money. He says, "Man, you had a great career. Nobody, look at your career." He says to me, "Right." I'm going, man. You know, why wouldn't you do it? Because I'm so sick of playing Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I'm so sick of it. He goes, your career's great. You didn't have to play the same songs for right. 40 years. I said, yeah, but look at your bank account. Look at mine. <laughs> yeah. Good point, right? You know? yeah. But yeah, we you know we're good friends in the old days, so we, yeah, we can bullshit like that, you know. But uh, that's why when that when that whole rumor came out that he's gonna do Led Zeppelin, I I had this big doubt. I said, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna do it. Mm. And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, but he said he's going to do it. I said, I really don't think he's going to do it. Not right. from what he told me, you know. And you don't need the money, you know. Yeah. What's another $100 million in, in the bank when you already have a half a billion dollars in the bank, yeah. you know? Yeah. Now, Carmine, you mentioned— 20%. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Very good, bud, friendly. <laughs> now, Carmine, you are one of the rare musicians where your brother is also an amazing drummer, Vinny Avesey, and what's no, amazing... He's no, he's not. Oh, he's not? No, he's uh. not. <laughs> he's no rock historian either. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> no, he, yeah. he's actually a computer tech. He's really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I was Vin, Vinny, of course, with Heaven and Hell, which is Black Sabbath, and, and what's amazing is, and I don't know if it was you or Vinny that told me this, that you pronounce your name a piece, Vinny Avesey, and your other brother pronounces it a peachy. Yeah. Wow. Now, how did that come about? What's up with that? Well, it just sort of happened. I, I really don't know. I When I grew up, it was Apathy. When I was in Vanilla Fudge, it was Apathy. But everywhere I went, everyone called me a piece, and I was sick and tired of correcting, of correcting everybody. It. You know, so by the time I, I played with Rod Stewart, you know, Rod was playing for these massive audiences, and, and he said to me, you know, you got to get one way to say your name. You know, I heard like, you remember, I don't know, if, are we from New York? A uh, PA. PA. Well, New York had a, um, the Nightbird, Allison Steele, oh, yeah, the Nightbird. Sure. The Nightbird. Yeah, and she used to guy. go, that was Big Bogut and Apiche. <laughs> I said, wow, that's another new one. That was really sexy and cool. You know, so that was an example of how many pronunciations. It was Carmine Apice, Carmine Apice, Carmine Apice, Carmine Apice, Carmine Apice. You know, it was like Carmine, it was like... 15 guys, you know, but n- nobody was the right one. So when I would join Rod, he said, look, we got to get one way to say your name. So how do you want to say it? I said, well, most people say Carmine Apice, so let's go with the piece. Okay, so then uh, Ludwig did some ads. Everyone wants a piece of a piece. Made sense. We, you know, so all right, now it's Rod Stewart every night in front of 20,000 people for seven years. It's Carmine Apice on drums, you know. And then Vinny came out with Black Sabbath, 1980, and um, it's Vinny Apice. Wow. Yeah. Started confusing everybody, everybody again. again. Right. And they're still confused now. <laughs> so we did that DVD called Drum Wars, right. where we battle for the name. Oh, oh that's Apice. great. And uh, I'm trying to get Sasha, the guy that did the uh, Anvil movie, right, to right. redo Drum Wars you know, as a, as a cool. comedy documentary. And um, I gave him a copy. I actually liked it, you know. And I saw you in the Anvil movie. 
Yeah, I know. That was funny, too, huh? Yeah, no, it was great because, uh, you know, you were doing, like, a big show and these guys were coming up. I mean, what a wild thing with that band, you know? Dude, when they... It was it was hilarious because we we went to Swedish Rock Festival Cactus, and unbeknownst to us, they were giant Cactus fans. Wow! So they were, I was hanging out with them before Christmas, you know, and they were telling me, "Dude, you can't imagine what we felt like when we saw the Cactus was on the bill at Swedish oh, cool. Rock Festival." He said, "We couldn't wait to get there just to see you guys," and they stood off the side of the stage and watched our whole set, which we had a horrible set. Tim's bass amp sucks. We went and threw and knocked it over. Oh, you know, wow. it was like one of those, you know, if everything can go wrong, it went wrong. But, you know, the audience was great, and we rocked them after we put the equipment back together and stuff. But they were down the side, and then, you know, and then they came up to me and said, look, we're doing this, uh, we're doing this documentary on about Anvil. I guess Sasha must have came up to me. Okay. Yeah, it was a press day there, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know if it was the day after we played or... The day before, I can't remember, but, and he said, we're going to do this, in, you know, we would like you to do an interview. So I said, well, it have to be quick. I'm on my way to do, you know, something else, a radio station. And so they stopped me, and, and and then that piece is in the movie. Right. He starts telling me about this party that we went to, and I was yeah. trying to pull this chick, <laughs> and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And and quite honestly, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> so that's why I looked at him and said, I don't yeah. remember, yeah. dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, man. And I left. Yeah. And then, you know, and then they actually sent me the clip of that and got to re they had to sign a release. But it didn't even, still didn't even register what they were doing with it, right. you know? Right. And uh, and then after I, I heard about the movie, coming out in the movies, I said, and then all this press going on, I said, wow. Right. You know, and everyone says, yeah, I saw you in the movie. And I said... I tried. I, mean, I must be in it because I remember that I signed. I signed you the signed release. Form, right. And then so I went to see the movie, and then also in the movie they talk about cactus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they go, you know, I remember with line something like, "Well, cactus. Nobody listens to cactus." I said, "Hey, what do you mean?" You know, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and people laughing. I'm you know, laughing in the oh, theater. And I'm right. going, "Ah, oh, nice man." You know. Yeah, you should have stood up and you just said, "Hey, suckers. guys, I'm the drummer from cactus." <laughs> you know. And then it's funny enough, I ran into somebody recently. That said, you know, I saw you at the, in the theater, and uh, I went to see the Anvil movie the same night you did. Oh, wow. I actually saw you in the theater. He said, I said, oh, you did? He says, yeah, but I didn't say hello to you. I was too, like, you know, standoff. <laughs> you know, I thought you might right. be standoff or something. Right. It was funny. And so I was hanging out with those guys, you know, and um, when I started seeing all the press and, and then... They're on CNN, you know, like talking about cactus and everything. So I felt it was my duty to contact them cool. and say something to them. You know, like, hey, thanks for the, for the, you know, for the, for the extra press. You're right. so it was always cactus and carmine they talked about, you know. That's cool. So then I, I got to talking to Robbo, and I got Robbo a deal on D-Drum. Oh, cool. So he plays D-Drums nice, now man. with us. And, and now, uh, you know, now we sort of became friends, you know, and Sasha too, you know. Sasha's in uh, New York doing a movie now. You know, and uh, I went to do this thing at uh, UCLA with Sasha did a uh, uh, like a, a speech at uh, the uh, theatrical department for the directors at UCLA with some big director teacher. And uh, he said, yeah, you want to come? We're going to talk about Anvil. Maybe you can, you know, stand up and talk for a minute. So I went. I was sitting in the audience with all the students. And then he asked me a question. He said, stand up. Tell him. So I stood up and I'm yapping for 10 minutes. UCLA, I was pretty cool, you know. Yeah. So we became friends, and uh, and um, actually, the Anvil guys signed an autograph on one of their big movie posters. I gave it to my daughter and her boyfriend, who are both <laughs> Anvil fans. Wow, nice. you know, it's really interesting. You know? Did you know of them back in the '80s when they were doing? I heard stuff? of them. Right. I didn't know that they influenced people like that. Right. You know? Right. I mean, uh, you know, I guess they did because you know. But uh, I just heard of him. I heard a few songs on the radio and blah, blah, blah. I never really saw him live. But, you know, when I was reading, um, I, they got they gave me the book, too. I got the DVD, the book. Oh, cool. You know, and uh, and I'm reading the book on the plane on the way here. And I'm listening to Slash. He wrote the forward. How, you know, influential they were on him. Right. And who I said, knew? wow. Yeah. I said, oh, man, I, I didn't know that, you know. Very cool, Carmine. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned a book. I was would too busy ever... getting fired by Ozzy. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you would you ever consider writing a book? You have so uh, many great I, stories. I, I have so... a, a book proposal in the works here, and we're trying to get a deal for the book now. 
Well, it so would we'll be, see. That would be uh, quite a read. In my story, amazing stories, insane stuff. I got some crazy stuff that. Uh, I mean, my book will go everything from all this stuff to like Gregory Peck and Fred Astaire and yeah. <laughs> people like nice, that crazy. from the Rod days and then the old days with Hendrix and Janis Joplin and you know all those, all the people who are like such icons now. Yeah, that yeah. were friends of ours. You know, one uh, one thing i wanted to ask you about before we wrap up here is uh john and i are enormous kiss fans we have a lot of kiss fans that listen to the the show um you worked a little with paul stanley back on his mm -hmm. uh 78 solo right. record how did you get involved with that well i met those guys the first time in 75 uh when i was playing with leslie west in the leslie west band i was replacing corky for three months while he cleaned up and uh we opened up for the first few arena shows that Kiss ever did. Mm. So I met those guys then. And when I met them, they were pretty humble and told me that they were Cactus and Vanilla Fudge fans. Right. And they're from New York, you know. Yeah. I mean, matter of fact, they told me that uh, they went to a show in Comac Arena in Long Island. And they said um, that they saw Alice Cooper and Cactus and somebody else opened for us. And that's where they got the idea for Kiss. They said, if we can get the energy and the rawness of Cactus and the theatrics of Alice Cooper, we may have something. Yeah. So that's what you know, I think with Paul. or uh, It must have been Paul that told me that. Yeah, well, I don't think Gene told me that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might have been Gene. I mean, look, uh, I, those guys have been good friends throughout my whole career. You know, when I, I was... Uh, on tour with King Cobra, they put us on the whole Kiss that's tour. Right, yeah. right. That's I saw as that a favor, mm -hmm. wow. as a favor. They've actually paid us, you know, what, which is rare for Asylum bands. tour. I think. Um, it was uh, '86, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Was. that was Asylum. Yeah. Animalizer. Eric Carr was still Asylum. playing drums. Yeah, on. Asylum tour. <clears throat> and it was it was great. You know, we had a great time, and uh, <laughs> you know, and throughout the years, uh, as a matter of fact, I was looking for a manager. And Paul Stanley recommended Bill LaCoin to me, and, oh, and cool. I got signed to ma Coin Management mm. as a solo artist. I wanted to be the Gene Krupa of, dr of rock, you know, and bring yeah. drums to the to the front. Right. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, and Paul was the guy that did it. You know, and we used to hang out together in, in L.A. when he came to L.A. Uh, actually, when I was playing with Rod Stewart, Rod threw this big party, and, and Rod got a little upset that I actually went in a limo to the party with Paul. Oh, yeah. Well, Instead of like you know coming with the the Rod Stewart band, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, but it was it was it was fun. We did a lot of really good things, and when I played on his album, I did five tracks and I only used one. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I played on the four worst songs on it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, this one that they did, that "Take Me Away" song, um, you know, when it came out, I mean, I. I it went platinum and all that. And I still, I, I'm probably do the platinum record. I still didn't collect the platinum oh, record well. on it. But um, I do remember, like, I flew in from Bangkok or some crazy place with Rod, and I was so jet lagged that I didn't know what I was doing. You yeah. know, if you ever been over to Japan, you guys, you know, you're 16 hours difference. Sure. You know, you get back here and you, you know, you get here before you left. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. I, and you, and then went right to the studio from the airport, and it was like I was fried. I was literally wrecked, and I played these songs. I don't even know what I played, you know. And then it came out, "Take Me Away," and I said, "Oh, it sounded good." Years, years later, in the '90s, I did a clinic tour, and I don't know what it must have been Paul Stanley week, but every city I went into, there was a question: What were those fills you did on "Take Me Away"? Wow. And I said. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I just I did an interview for Australia recently, and I just listened to it, and that song was on it, hmm. so I remembered wow. again. But yeah. but that week was crazy because I went to the next town, and I didn't re I didn't know because I didn't remember the song. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like you know, I sit home and listen to Paul Stanley's album and, you know, <laughs> twenty years later and go, oh, well, here's the, here's the fills, you know. So I bet Paul sits at home and listens to your albums, though. Well, maybe. Uh, so anyways, so what happened was, <laughs> where'd you get this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't being sarcastic that time, I swear. I meant, Carmine, I love you. <laughs> so anyway, so the next night, I get to another clinic, another guy. What'd you do on this Take Me Away? And I go, 
I said, well, what's going on with this take me away this week? Right. I got this yesterday. I don't know. Same yeah. thing. So the third night, I go to the store. And I'm like, hey, hey, dude, you got a copy of the Paul Stanley album by any chance? Because, yeah, I got a cassette of it. Could, could I listen to that take me away song? Right. Yeah, so I listened to it. Just for the maybe, you know? Yeah. Sure enough, that night, too, another guy. What'd you do on that take me away? I said, ah. <laughs> now I know. Right. So, so I showed him what I did, you know. But I don't know what it was what what it was about it, you know, but um but it was good. It was a good song. I thought it was a really great song. Now yeah. listening to it again and I just listened to it Sunday. Did you? Yeah, because uh this guy sent me this interview. This this was a great interview. Uh I did it in, from Australia. The guy called me from Australia and he's on the radio there and he he's online and he sent me the the uh, the whole thing and he picked these obscure songs of mine that I didn't even like that one he picked a song I did with Rick Derringer uh, Rock and Roll Part 2 in the 80s oh, wow. that one he did all these obscure songs he did the Pink Floyd song that you know Dogs of What I played on that nobody really even, mostly don't talk about you know and then he talked about it, and he played and I said wow this guy's got some wild choices of, of music he didn't play the obvious things you know Nothing of the none of yeah. the obvious stuff. It was all obscure, off the wall stuff. Right. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we'll have to check cool. that out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's uh, wow, so much stuff we could continue to talk yeah, to you about. Blue about Murder, Pink Floyd, but uh, yeah, we were yeah. talking about doing Blue Murder this year. And I, yeah. I, I, I hope it happens. You know, that would be. Like out I of said control. if we do, if I do Blue Murder, I do King Cobra, I do Cactus, yeah. I do Slam. Let me see if I can do do a Vanilla Fudge gig. We're actually going to play gigs with the Rod Stewart group at Outrod in Europe. Oh, wow. nice. Yeah, that's funny because we wrote all the songs. Yeah, there you, you know? go. Cool. So Why not? Yeah, definitely. So if we do that, I, I would have, I was kidding before, but, you know, if I do all that and we actually do gigs with each thing, it's reunion with everybody almost. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there will be one with Ozzy, though. No, yeah. probably, probably not. <laughs> Carmen, I don't think there are any other musicians that have had a history of playing with so many people like that. I mean, I think it would be hard well, to really find somebody like that. I mean, think about, like, that, like Tommy Aldridge played with a lot of people. Right. You know? Uh, the difference with me and Tommy is Tommy played with other people where I started new projects right. of my own. Right. Uh, and and I guess, you know, like when uh, I had one of my managers ask Ted one time, well, you play with Carmine, you know, one tour, when, uh, why don't you use him again? And, and his manager's answer was, well, Carmine's like Ted. He's like a leader. Right. He does his own record deals. He has PR, his own people, his own managers. He said, he's not like a side man. I said, oh, great. You know, so you sort of build yourself yeah, up to a point a, where nobody right. calls you no more. You know? Which is one of the things I like about the Slam live gigs is that you are the front man of the band. You know, it's it's pretty cool. wild, that, that Slam thing, because, uh, you know, I, I would to come up with something that... It was so unique, you know. People saw the show, said, "Well, we've never seen anything like it." And they've seen Blue Man Group and Stomp, and but this is different because Blue Man Group is, is like a comedy act. If you've seen that, it's, right? You know, it's mostly comedy. And Stomp is a dance troupe. If you see it one night, it's exactly the same every night. But with Slam, it's like a rock concert. There's spontaneous things happen every night that make it different, and the solos are are you know like uh, spontaneous. There's a lot of audience participation. You know, and all that's different every night, like a rock concert, you know? Right. And uh, I think that's a different element that we have that that's not in the uh, other ones, you know? No doubt about it. So. Carmine, thank you so much for joining us thank here you. tonight. And uh, thank we you just guys. love hearing the story. Yeah, so. we, we yeah. can go on for yeah. hours and hours. Yeah. But <laughs> Hopefully we'll well, Maybe have... I'll get the book out and we'll come yeah. up with it again. Yeah, no you, doubt. You Carmine, you're that. welcome you anytime Great. on Talking Metal, anytime you want to come Great. here. Absolutely. We're going right. to end. You guys here tomorrow? Uh, yeah, we'll be back. <laughs> uh, we're going to end with a song that we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, uh, Dislocated, oh, with okay. uh, Mr. Paul Gilbert. Yeah. And, uh, Let's then, get an idea. Listen to the lyrics I was telling you about. Yeah, these we, lyrics, will. we cool. will. These lyrics are really cool. And after that, we're going to listen to a little Blue Murder, Black Hearted Woman. One of okay, my, that's a great cool. song off that. That record. Um, and uh, an ID? Yeah, let's do a you're listening to and a you're watching okay. Talking Metal. So okay. Whenever yeah. you're ready. Okay. Hi, it's Carmine Apiece, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Okay. And then watching? Yeah. Okay. Hi, it's Carmine Apiece, and you're watching Talking Metal. Excellent. 
Perfect. Thanks, Carmine. Thank you so much, Pepper. Thank you, man. This is Carmine with Paul Gilbert, Dislocated.
Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.